Well, thanks, Sue. A great reminder. Uh, my family just finished going through that uh, fever bug thing that was going on. We were waiting at night, waiting for the, uh, waiting eagerly for things to be done. <clears throat> uh, let's pray real quick. Father God, um, I'm reminded of of uh, the cross. We sang the song earlier, "Lead me to you, lead me to the cross." So, Father, that's my prayer today that you will lead us to you, lead us to Jesus, and lead us to the cross. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's a pleasure to be here sharing with you, Highland. Um, I started coming to Highland in fall of 2005, and I was working a job, uh, first job out of college, driving around the southeast in a box truck um, at all hours of the night, and I would come in, if you remember in the orange peel, we had the the, uh, stools in the back, I'd come in and sit on the stools, kind of in the dark, nobody could see me, and uh, I remember very clearly Nate singing, uh, In a Marvelous Light I'm Running, and I remember just sitting there crying. Because I felt like I was inside, I didn't know anybody, working a hard job. I felt like, I don't know what's going on. I know Jesus is the answer, but I just had this outpouring of emotion. So I'm glad to be here. I'll talk a little bit more about my time with Highland here in a moment. Um, and, and thank you, Jason, for letting me share. Um, my first question is, uh, naturally, what we're going to be speaking on. Uh, we're in the series of songs to climb a mountain, so we're looking at Psalms. So I'm thinking, great, I get to speak about a praise song in the Word. How hard can that be? As usually happens with the Word of God, I was very quickly put in my place. Uh, Songs to Climb a Mountain is a perfect segue as we look towards Easter, a mountaintop experience uh, for Christ followers. Easter, which we celebrate during the spring when new new life is coming, is when we celebrate our new life in Christ through his death and resurrection. It's the ultimate pivot point of the story of God. God's plan to give us true life. If you look at the Songs of Ascent in your Bible, you'll see subtitles that say, a song for pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem or something similar. The idea is on their way to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, these pilgrims would sing their songs. And so they're going up to Jerusalem, and and sacrifices before Jesus was how um, they, they atoned for their sins. We call forgiveness. After Jesus, we look back to that. But the point is it was always about Jesus. Uh, when I first heard a Songs of Ascent, um, a picture jumped in my mind. Well, a couple of pictures. Um, Brian, if you'll play that first video, this is what I first thought of when I heard the Songs to Climb a Mountain. That's awful, isn't it? This welling of emotion and the uh, crescendo, and I left out the last word. Um, Sorry about that. That was just where the video cut off. Um, So epic, valiant, beautiful, majestic. 
Uh, you know, I think a, song, a sound of music. Um, John thought of Lord of the Rings last week we saw. Maybe Braveheart is more your style. Yes, sound of music was what I thought of. Um, don't hate. Um, but the idea is this epic, valiant, beautiful, majestic. And we look at the Psalms, we feel a little bit of that, right? How many of you feel like your life, your journey, even towards Easter, or you're just, your journey in life is epic, valiant, majestic? Nobody raised their hands in first service either. Um, so when I, this is what jumps in my mind, but it's hard for me to identify. When I look at the Psalms and I go, songs to climb a mountain, this epic journey, I don't really have an epic journey. Let me show you a little bit of what my journey, my song, uh, feels like sometimes. Talk about lame. <laughs> totally. You can change it if you want. I don't care. It's up to you. I can live with it if you can. Suit yourself. That's more my style. That's more my speed. Uh, that is what my life feels like. You know, we see these beautiful, wonderful songs, uh, and I can't really identify it. And then when I do, it's heartfelt and awkward, and then somebody usually ends up screaming. This is much more uh, what I feel like in life. And that's okay, isn't it? Right? I mean, a lot of times we look at these movies and everything is idealized, but when it gets down to real life... These songs are for real life. It's not just for that epic, majestic journey. <clears throat> it, these songs to climb a mountain are for the life we're in right now. We started this series looking towards Easter, um, but we didn't know what that mountain, what that climb would look like. Our first um, conversation in this series was two days after our dear sister Brittany went to be with Jesus. It, it was... It is tough to walk through losing her on this earth as a family. Yes, we know she's in a better place. We know she is living eternally in that pure joy in the presence of Jesus, but it's still been hard. We thought we were only looking towards Easter, but little did we know that we'd be climbing this, heartache, this mountain with heartache and mourning. But God did, and he gave us some songs to climb by. The first one we looked at, Psalms 120, asks us, so you got troubles? And two days after Brittany went to be with Jesus, our answer was yes, we do. We felt troubled as a family, individually. Psalms 120 begins, I took my troubles to the Lord, I cried out to him, and he answered my prayer. So we cried out together, and we heard, don't be like Brittany, she wouldn't want that. Be like Jesus. Look to Jesus. The Lord is our rescuer. Then we looked at the mercy we see in the sea of the Lord in Psalm 123. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy, for we have had our fill of contempt. And he does. He sent his son to 
Son to die on the cross to give us life. That's what we see in Easter. Look to Jesus. The Lord is the merciful one. Psalm 124 asks us, what if? What would we be without the Lord? The psalm begins, what if the Lord had not been on our side? And it ends, our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Look to Jesus because Jesus is on our side. Romans 8.34, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's, at God's right hand, pleading for us. Look to Jesus. As we step into Psalms 130, I'll give you one guess as to what we will see. No matter where we go in Scripture, we see it pointing in some form or fashion to Jesus. This is the story of God. This is the point. That's why next weekend um, we're going to see the story of God. It's not just the New Testament. It's not just Easter. It's not just baby in a manger. The entire story points to Jesus from Old Testament all the way to Revelation. Look to Jesus. So let's read Psalms 130. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. But you, that's the central theme of this. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Take note of the emotions here. In verse 1, we see despair. Depths of despair. We cry for help. Um, Verse 4 He offers forgiveness that we might learn to fear. Fear is kind of an odd response to forgiveness. I'm counting on the Lord, and I place my hope in Him. I long for the Lord, and with Him there is unfailing love. Despair, fear, hope, longing, unfailing love. Lots of emotions. It's not just, I'm happy, right? These are really deep emotions that the psalmist is feeling. In verse 1, there's an emotion of despair, The author is pleading for God to hear him. In verse 3, when he talks about his sins, we actually see why he is despairing. He's not despairing because of any actions other than the fact that he realizes his depravity, his sins, um, in the light of a holy God. Many of you have heard Romans 3.23, that concept that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's this concept that God is perfect and we are not, and we have fallen short of him. What are we to do? The next emotion is fear, but not just regular fear. This is fear of the Lord. You'll hear many different things in the church about the fear of the Lord, from from, uh, person to person, even if you ask. You'll hear on the one hand that it's not a scary fear, right? It's different. It's just that we really, really trust God. We really respect God. And that's true to some extent. I explained it to my four-year-old Joshua this way. He asked what it meant to fear God. And I said, well, it's, it's a deep respect. But it's a bit elementary. It's not the full explanation. I mean, if it was just respect, we would have said respect. The Scripture would have said respect. Francis Chan, in his basic video, compares fear to the feeling of drowning. It's a very intense emotion. It's an overwhelmed emotion. You know, when I was a kid, one of my earliest 
earlier memories was um, uh, being on vacation with my family and uh, being at a swimming pool, and they had the little floaty ring things. And uh, I could kind of swim, um, not really, but I thought it'd be hilarious if I took the, the floaty ring thing, which is a great name for it, and I put it in the water and I tried to jump in and I was going to aim so my legs went through and I was going to, I don't know what I was going to do. I thought it'd be hilarious. Um, of course, you can probably see what's coming. Um, I jump in and the thing flips over and pins me under the water. I got stuck upside down and I couldn't breathe. And I'd never experienced this feeling before, this panic. I can't get my breath. It's overwhelming, the idea of being out of air. Clearly, it didn't scar me. Um, I went on to swim on the swim team, and it was a big part of my life, and coaching, and that sort of thing. But I, I remember, because of the emotion that was there, I remember that feeling, that overwhelmed, can't breathe. So we can't dilute the fear of God too much and just say that the fear of the Lord is learned... Um, Learn from forgiveness is just deep respect because it's more than that. So what is it? Fear of the Lord doesn't come by itself. It comes from understanding the forgiveness of a very good God. If we look at the, the verse, it says, but you. And again, that's the central thing. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Fear comes after the forgiveness. The psalmist would have understood how good God was because Israel had been warned not to forget Deuteronomy 6, this is when the Israelites are in the desert. He gave them this command. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord God and serve him. Be careful not to forget the Lord. You see, he had taken them out of Egypt. They were walking through the desert. He he had manna fall from the sky. He provided water from a rock. All of these miracles, and yet they still complained. They still said, God, you are against us. But he forgave them because he was there to honor the covenant he made with Abraham. And he said, do not forget. So into their culture, into the Jewish culture, was wired this remembrance of God, remembering what God had done. The Passover is a time of remembrance. And so the psalmist would have understood how good God is and the forgiveness there. If we just stay, but, but it's more than that. If we just stay at God is good and I am bad, That's not the fear of the Lord. That's shame. I'm not good enough. Fearing the Lord is a response of accepting his forgiveness, understanding his forgiveness. It's a concept of realizing the goodness, the bigness of God, the depth of our own depravity and our sin, and then the joy of knowing that that doesn't define us. The but you here means that our sins do not define us. God loves us anyways. It's a really big wow delivered by the psalmist here. You know, I, um, I was reading uh, online a study from the University of California, Berkeley. I didn't read the study. Um, it was just a headline. Um, and they were saying that they studied emotions and exactly what was the healthiest emotion. So I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I've always heard if you smile a lot, it prolongs your life and laughter and that sort of thing. 
Turns out, scientifically proven by a study at Berkeley, the healthiest emotion is awe. And the article actually said, realizing we are small and the world, world is big, creates an emotion that is measured as the healthiest emotion because of inflammatory response or something, and then some scientific things I didn't understand. But this idea that we are small and the world is big is actually physically healthy. It's physically healthy for us to understand that we are small and God is bigger, to understand His glory and His majesty, and yet He forgives us. The fear of the Lord takes on a very different, um, a very different thought if it's more than just God is good and I am bad. What we're seeing here in these emotions of despair and fear of the Lord is, is, is a word called penitence. And all I can ever think of when I hear the word penitent is Indiana Jones, the Holy Grail, the penitent man shall pass, the penitent man shall pass. And there's this scene where Indiana Jones and Sean Connery um, are sitting there and, and they're both repeating, the penitent man shall pass, the penitent man shall pass. They're trying to figure out what this means and he starts to walk through the passage and the penitent man shall pass, kneel, and a blade slices over his head and then he does a cool barrel roll over the other one. And anyway, the concept is... When you think of penitent, we think of kneeling in front of a holy creator. And uh, I actually like the way he says it because it's, it's an aggressive. It's not a slinking down to my knees. Kneel. He throws himself to the ground. So this word, um, one of the commentators I was reading said that this is a penitent psalm. But really what this means is it's around repentance. It's around understanding that God has forgiven us. This fear of the Lord is in response to forgiveness. But God, verse 4, but you, O Lord, offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. And the psalmist got this. Even before Jesus, um, there was this concept of forgiveness, not just future forgiveness, but fully realized. If you look at Leviticus 4, it's giving instructions, and Leviticus is one of the books of the law. It's talk about, talking about offering sacrifice. And it says, And all the fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Then later, Leviticus 5.10, And he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to their rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. The psalmist understood this forgiveness even though he was pre-Jesus. Uh, my wife and I actually experienced this forgiveness and subsequent fear of God in our relationship. We met here at Highland and hit it off. Um, however, as we grew closer together, we looked more at each other than Jesus. Have you ever done that? Looked more at the gifts God has given rather than at the giver himself? It caused all kinds of problems in our relationship. Pastor Shannon recommended we take a 40-day fast from each other. The goal was to get our eyes back on God, and it worked. We realized how much we had messed up and had shifted our focus on the wrong things, shifted our focus to each other. And when we met back together after 40 days, we were both unsure of whether we would even continue to be together. But it was okay. We were content that God had a plan. And so much of the family here at Highland contributed to that journey for us. Shannon walked beside us. Our, uh, Brian and Mary mentored us. And we got our eyes back on God. And he blessed us. 
He took our relationship, he changed it for him, and he blessed us together. He brought us to repentance and gave us something better that we could, than we would ever thought possible. And it was because of his forgiveness that his we- our wedding was much sweeter. We were kind of weeping during it. It was a little awkward, I think. We entered into our marriage in the fear of the Lord because we had understood his goodness in forgiving us. And he had given us something good. And he had made our relationship new. This is the picture of redemption. God takes us and makes us new. Now we have three beautiful boys, and there's lots of screaming. But this doesn't, but, but, but the psalmist doesn't stop at the fear of the Lord. Again, the most important part, but you offer forgiveness. And we respond with the fear of the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. The next emotion we see is hope, hope and longing. What have you ever longed for? What have you ever hoped for? Sue's example of uh, a sick child and just hoping for the night to be over is very, um, uh, very appropriate. Uh, we, our family just went through that for about three weeks. And those kids get sick and you don't know if they're going to throw up and they're crying and they're sleeping. And you're just, when is this going to be done? The psalmist used the idea of uh, the century longing for the morning. And I have a harder time identifying with that. But if I think about in the psalmist's days, they didn't have lights. They had little torches. And I'm guarding a wall and it's pitch black at night. And I got a little torch to see. I'm waiting and longing for the morning so I can see what's coming at me. So what is his hope for? What is he longing for? I mean, he's already been forgiven, right? We see in this context redemption. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And then uh, his redemption overflows. Redemption in this context means made new or wiped clean. The psalmist knows that he's forgiven, and he looks forward to when the Lord will redeem Israel from every type of sin. He looks forward to the culmination, the completion of God's promise. Follow his range of emotions here. He despaired in his sin. He fears the Lord because he is forgiven. He puts his hope in the Lord. He longs for the day in which this loving God will fully redeem Israel. I said at the beginning when we talked about despair, I referenced um, Romans 3.23. Um, <clears throat> For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. But then it says, it continues in verse 24, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declared that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So Old Testament and Psalms, but God. New Testament and Romans, yet God. The story is the same. The story of God points to Jesus. Now you say, great, you've been talking emotions. I'm not emotional, I'm a thinker. But I'm focusing on this because it walks us through a natural response to God. It's not about the feeling. It's about how we respond to God. Jonathan Edwards, a great American pastor and theologian after the first great awakening, was dealing with the concept of proper emotions and what they should be in the light of the story of God. He wrote a book called Religious Affections on the subject. He says, a way we can tell spiritual affections or emotions from others is that the deeper our spiritual feeling the more we long for even more of God. In other words, our spiritual appetites are increased when our emotions are stirred. On the other hand, false emotions inspire us to go no further with God. We tend to be satisfied with the experience we have had and seek nothing more. So this welling of emotion within the psalmist, and perhaps us, is entirely appropriate. It's entirely normal and natural because it spurs us on for more of God. That is the response of 
understanding God is I long for more of Him. Give me more of God. And in fact, we see at the end of the psalm, the psalmist points to the day when God will redeem Israel. Though he didn't know Him by name, he says, He will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Though he didn't know Him by name, he was saying, Look to Jesus. This is such a critical piece to the story of God and such an appropriate message pre-Easter. We're discussing the hope the psalmist placed in God, understanding his forgiveness on a day when we traditionally celebrate the hope Jerusalem placed in her king, riding in on a donkey. This day is traditionally celebrated as Palm Sunday within the church. And it's all about the celebration of Jews for their king. So there is a prophecy that the, the king would come and he would, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he would be riding on a donkey. And so Jesus fulfills this prophecy. And you have the, the Jews that are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, waving palm branches and laying them for the donkey to walk over. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday. He entered Jerusalem triumphantly and we traditionally celebrate it this Sunday before Easter. But they missed it, right? They were thinking about his kingdom. They were thinking only about his kingdom. The psalmist got it. And and by kingdom, I don't necessarily mean heavenly kingdom. They had their own ideas of what that meant. The psalmist got it. It's not about an earthly kingdom. It's about understanding that he came to offer forgiveness and redemption. The kingdom of God looks very different. Note the difference in heart. The psalmist longs and yearns for the Lord. The crowds who long for a kingdom, only days later, longed to crucify him and sent him to his death. Very different response. I'm reminded of episode 7. You know, we've been going through the story of God, trying to learn how do we tell the story? How do we understand it? And so episode 7 is called Israel uh, Awaits a King. So they're awaiting a king, and they get their king. The prophet Samuel says, why do you need a king? You have God as your king. They say, we want one anyways. Everybody else is doing it. That works out not so well for them. He is not uh, a man who points the kingdom after God. So then he is removed, Saul, and they get God's king, King David, who is called a man after God's own heart. And what floors me about this is it's not that David was a better guy. It's not that he did better things. David murdered and committed adultery, but he was still labeled a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He sought forgiveness. He believed in the but God. That's the but you, the forgiveness of God. So what do we long for? Do we long for ourselves to be fixed? Do we long to to be better? Do we long for a good life, a healthy life? Do we long for a kingdom, even if it's God's kingdom, Um, but maybe our idea of his kingdom. Or do we long for the Lord? Do we fear the great and beautiful God who sees us in the despair of our sins, counts none of them against us, and offers us forgiveness? And this psalmist knew less of the story of God than we do. If we look at the story of God, we look back to Jesus. He didn't even know Jesus. He looked forward, and yet we still hear the picture of grace. He didn't know exactly how God would redeem Israel, but he knew that he would. God forgave us. He shifted the blame from us to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, paid the price for our sins, and accomplished justice on our behalf. Romans 5, 6-8. 
When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the good news. And it's not just a New Testament thing. It's not just an Easter thing. This is the story of God. This is what it points us to. And the psalmist, even though he didn't know Jesus, was pointing us to Jesus. Nate and the band, you can come on up. So where are you today? Where are are you today? Where are we today on this road in the psalm? Are you feeling despair? Look to Jesus. Are you feeling longing? Look to Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe this is all foreign to you. I'm going to be down here at the front, and uh, some of our gel leaders and elders will be over here for prayer. We would love to tell you more about him and how he gives us life, because that's what the story is about. But maybe you do know Jesus, the Christ follower is with us today, but maybe you're stuck in the shame uh, in light of a holy God. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you down here so that we can look to Jesus together. Because the fear of God is more than God is good, I am bad. It moves us out of shame. It moves us to redemption. It moves us to true life. And that's what life is. Because the message in this song is, But you, but you, O Lord, offer forgiveness. And maybe you're not feeling anything. That's okay. Uh, I will still say, look to Jesus. Maybe you want to feel these emotions, but you can't, and that's okay. We can't understand the despair of our sins just by looking at our sins. We understand those when we look at Jesus. We can't understand how little we are until we look and see how big God truly is. So don't look inward. Look to Him today. If you'll stand with me, we'll close in prayer. Father God, we need you. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. I thank you for the psalmist. I thank you for the way that you have been working throughout time to point us to Jesus. Father, you have an amazing plan. You have redemption. And you long for us to come to know you, to come to know your love. Father, I pray that you will remove the barriers here. Um, Father, I pray that you will fall on our hearts, um, that we might uh, fall to our knees and say, Lord, I need you. Father, may you be glorified in our hearts and our lives. and, and, And as we take this concept out into our city, Um, I pray that that's what our city would hear. That they would hear that all it takes is that we look to Jesus. We have our hope. We long for you. Because you offer redemption. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.